First Timothy 4, 1 to 10. Uh, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Uh, good evening. I want to welcome everybody to Good News Church today, and uh, you know I see a lot of new faces. You know this is a, uh, I think this has been a pretty intense week, uh, you know, for some in our community in particular, but also uh, a pretty intense week in uh, the U.S. A lot of pain, a lot of violence, a lot of anger, and uh, you know today's sermon is not going to uh, necessarily directly. Uh, relate to or talk about any of these things, but I do think it has uh, at least an indirect correlation. And what I'm going to do today is we're going to start a new sermon series. Actually, I shouldn't call it a sermon series. Uh, we're not doing a formal sermon series for the summer uh, because I know a lot of people are uh, in and out and going on different trips. But I think every time uh, I do preach, uh, I do want to try to hit on some, some of the basic habits or practices uh, of Christianity. And traditionally, this is known as spiritual disciplines. And uh, if, you do, if you remember, which you may not, which is okay, but in the beginning of the year, we started a series on prayer, and I wanted to make prayer uh, a very deep habit within our lives, uh, both individually and both corporately as a church. And I think it's actually, in particular, weeks like this that we really need to, again, come and be reminded to rely upon prayer and be a people of prayer. Uh, but today, I, I do want to just kind of give a general introduction of the importance of building these spiritual habits and practices into our lives. So... With that being said, uh, I invite you all to pray with me, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get started. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. And if anything, uh, what we all need is your grace and your mercy. And we pray that as we come and as we hear your word, uh, we know, God, that you're speaking, uh, but we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the very things that you intend for us to uh, to hear. And by the power of your spirit, we pray, God, that you would give us new convictions, convictions that would help to grow us, convictions that would help us to be the very people you desire us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, habits are very important, and the way we shape our lives around habits are very important. And in the beginning of the year, I read this book called The Power of Habit. 
And it really had some fascinating stories in terms of how habits can really shape things and how habits can really shape a person. And that got me thinking along the lines of, uh, as Christians, it's actually really important to cultivate really good spiritual habits because if we don't, uh, I think habits aren't neutral, so we're always going to adopt and take on some kind of habits. And if we don't take on habits that will encourage our maturity and growth in Christ, then more often than not, we will probably take on some habits that will not be as helpful or beneficial to us in that sense. Now, I think I've noticed when people think about how do we grow as a Christian or how do we uh, do Christian discipleship, most of the time, I think, our approach is like this. Well, uh, I lack now knowledge in something, so what I need to do is I need to go buy a book. I need to go buy a Christian book. I need to read it, and I need to acquire more knowledge. And by all means, that's not a bad thing, and I would encourage everybody to do that. Uh, but I think knowledge and acquisition of knowledge is simply not enough to shape our hearts to shape the desires of our hearts. And so you see, there is an important place for spiritual practice when it comes to spiritual growth beyond simply just acquiring more information and acquiring more knowledge. You know, if you think about it, if uh, somebody has this intense desire and love for fast food, if you simply just tell them, you know, fast food is not the healthiest thing to eat, and if you continue to eat fast food every day, uh, that's not going to be good for you. Let me show you the nutritional facts of what you're uh, putting into your body. Uh, I think more often than not, it's going to take a lot more than that to simply change your diet. Uh, it's going to take more than knowledge, but it's probably going to take a change of habit. So if you went to lunch every day and you went to the McDonald's around the corner, uh, it's going to take this inten intentional action to not do that anymore and to maybe now go to the salad store on the other corner. And so, you know, on the one hand, it is good and it is great to acquire more knowledge of things like the Bible and things like theology. But that alone is not necessarily going to lead to greater godliness. You know, I've thought about our church. I think about our church a lot. Sometimes I wish I could stop thinking about the church and shut off my mind, but I think about the church a lot. And in particular, I've been thinking a lot about how can we be a church that is more outward facing? How can we be a church that uh, can really reach out? And, you know, I think the, the past maybe year and a half, uh, the way I've approached it was like this. Well, you know, if I just preach... Uh, and teach about about reaching out, and if I teach and preach about well, what the Bible says about what the church needs to do to reach out, then people are going to start to reach out, and then we're all of a sudden going to become a church that right, reaches out. But I think I realize, I come to the realization that it doesn't quite work out that way. Uh, I'm starting to realize that in addition to preaching, in addition to learning and those kinds of things, maybe what we have to really do is change some of the practices and habits of our church and the things that we do and build into what we do habits of reaching out, and maybe that's how we change. Maybe that's how we grow our hearts to reach people in New York City. But here's the thing about changing habits, and here's about thing, uh, change in general, is change can be hard, right? Change can be very hard. Uh, the most difficult part of uh, getting in shape is always going to be the beginning when you're trying to change and make exercise a part of your routine. And during the beginning, every fiber of your body is going to be saying this. Uh, no, don't wake up early. Don't get out of bed and don't go to the gym. Just stay in bed and relax. Every fiber in your body is going to say, I really don't want to sweat today and I really don't want to expend that energy today. 
But if you want to get to a point where it becomes a habit, and eventually to a point where it becomes an integral part of you, where you actually even begin to desire exercise, you know, you have to overcome that, and you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. Discipline, when I think about discipline, discipline is something that you need when there is something that you don't want to really do, when you don't feel like doing it, when it doesn't feel natural to you. And sometimes spiritual disciplines can be like that. You know, sometimes you may not feel like coming to worship on Sundays. Sometimes you may not feel like praying. Sometimes you may not feel like opening up your Bible and reading and meditating upon Scripture. And sometimes it may even feel like a duty or a chore. But you see, that's why we need spiritual discipline in order to overcome those moments where we don't feel like doing it. And of course, that's not to say that spiritual disciplines is simply a duty, but the hope is the longer we do it and the more we engage in it, eventually it becomes something that we can delight in and desire. Eventually it's something that can be a means in which we enjoy our relationship with God. Now, in verse 7 of our passage, Paul says this. He says, train yourself for godliness. Okay, Train yourself for godliness. Uh, other translations might say, discipline yourself for godliness. And that word that's translated as train or discipline uh, is this Greek word, gymnazo. And you can kind of hear uh, the word gymnasium in it. And so you see this athletic metaphor, and I think it's very appropriate to think about the athletic metaphor when we're thinking about things like spiritual discipline. And we see it in the very next verse when Paul makes an analogy between an athlete's bodily training and the kind of training that leads to godliness. You know, if you, uh, if you are interested in sports at all, uh, I am in personally interested in sports, and if you read about how athletes uh, prepare uh, to, to do what they do, and how they train and things like that, you, you soon realize that the great ones, uh, they have a great deal of discipline. Uh, they spend hours working out. They spend hours doing drills, and they sp spend hours practicing. And uh, to me personally, the, the hardest thing that they probably do is they maintain this really strict diet. Uh, now, I read this article about Tom Brady and his diet, and it's, it's really insane and it's really crazy. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but he is on this very strict diet, and there's like so many different kinds of foods that he doesn't allow himself to eat. And I would imagine that it would be hard to refrain from eating things like cookies right, or cakes. For me, right, ice cream. I, I can't imagine life without ice cream or even coffee or things like red meat. But he does it, right? Why? Because he knows that even though in the short term it's not something that is natural to him or something that he doesn't want to do, he knows in the, in the grand scheme of things it's, it's good for him, right? LeBron James is the same way. Very strict diet, very strict training regimen. And so as we think about spiritual disciplines, I think it's, uh, it makes sense to actually think about it in relation to uh, how a body or how a, an athlete trains their body. You see, an athlete trains their body not simply for the immediate future, but they do it for the long-term future. They do it so that they can be healthy during the course of a long season. They train their bodies so that they can endure those times when they're not particularly healthy. And I think we can say the same things about spiritual disciplines. Now, if you are a Christian, uh, maybe I'm going to guess that you probably know that there are definitely times where you don't feel like doing certain things. There are going to be certain days where you don't want to uh, come to church and worship on Sundays, and maybe what you'd rather do is you'd rather stay home and watch football. 
Uh, there's going to be times where you don't feel like praying, and maybe what you would rather do is you'd rather just sit on the couch and watch some Netflix. Uh, there's going to be days where you don't want to open up your Bible and read Scripture and meditate on upon it, but maybe what you want to do is uh, look at Facebook, and that becomes so much easier because now most people read the Bible on their phones, and so it's like Bible app, Facebook app, or whatever other app. And the temptation there is, of course, very strong. But you see, being disciplined means that you're doing this. You're making a conscious effort to do that thing that you don't want to do because you believe and you know that it is vital for your long-term spiritual well-being. And I think as we engage in these things, there are going to be times where, yes, it will feel like a duty, but I also believe there are going to be times where these things will feel so sweet to us. That worship is going to feel so sweet. And even if we didn't feel like coming in the beginning, as we leave, we're like, wow, I'm really glad I did that. Or as we spend time in personal prayer, or as we spend time in scripture, in the beginning, we're like, ugh, I, I don't want to do this. And then by the time God really speaks to you, and God really touches your heart, and you leave that, and you uh, come out of that saying, I am so glad I did it. It was so good for me. And so uh, I want to encourage us to really consider the importance of spiritual discipline. And so how do we, how do we understand uh, spiritual disciplines? The first thing I would say is this. Uh, you know, spiritual disciplines are simply a means and they're not an end. Uh, in other words, uh, just because you engage and practice these spiritual disciplines, just because you pray, just because you read the Bible, doesn't necessarily make you a godly person. Okay? It's not something that you kind of check off on your checklist and say, I did it, therefore I'm a quote-unquote good Christian. But no, they're simply a means in which you can put yourself in a position to be transformed by God's grace. The second thing I would say is this, that spiritual disciplines uh, are practices, not attitudes. And as practices, they actually require a lot of work. And the fact that we have to work at something is not something that is contrary to the message of the gospel. So we shouldn't say this, uh, you know, if I don't feel like praying, then I'm not going to pray because then I wouldn't be authentic. Or we shouldn't say, I shouldn't strive or toil or try to work hard to grow in godliness because the gospel is all about grace. And for sure, it's true that the gospel is all about grace, but at the same time, I think there is an important place for striving. There is an, an important place for really working at it and seeking to work and grow in our godliness. Because if you look at our passage here today, Paul, he uses those kinds of words in verse 10. He uses words like toil and strive. He uses phrases like train yourself for godliness because, again, spiritual growth is not something that simply just happens passively. You can't expect to grow in godliness if you don't do anything to work at cultivating godliness. It's something that we all have to work at. And so I want to look at the, this passage in 1 Timothy 4 and think about this idea and concept of what it means to train ourselves for godliness. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, this letter is it's part of a group of letters that Paul writes, and they're known as the pastoral epistles, and uh, they're addressed in particular to church leaders. And in this one, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, to Timothy, and he is giving him some important advice. But I think at the same time, this is a letter that is addressed and written to and for the entire church. So it's advice that we need to hear as well. Now, if you look at verse 1, 
uh, Paul says this. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And the first point I want to make is, is a very simple point, but it's this, that some people, they departed from the faith. They departed from the faith. And the reason that they departed from the faith is because they believed in some false teaching that was going around. And I think one of the potential consequences of neglecting spiritual disciplines is going to be this, that it may lead us to one day depart from the faith. You know, I think we tend to believe uh, or think that believing in wrong doctrine is simply a matter of the intellect, but I think uh, believing in false teaching is uh, probably largely more a matter of the heart, more a matter of the desires of the heart. And that's why good doctrine is not simply about being the most intellectually gifted person, but good doctrine and believing in good doctrine is about being a godly person because I think the desires of the hearts largely affect and shape what we believe in terms of good teaching. Because if you, th- if you remember the, uh, in, in the early chapters of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, you have these two voices. You have God's voice, and God's voice says this, don't eat of this fruit or you will surely die. And then you have this other voice, this voice of the serpent that says, if you eat the fruit, you won't die, but rather you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And you ask yourself, why did Adam and Eve listen to the serpent, and why didn't they listen to God? You see, I don't think it's because the serpent gave a more intellectually robust argument to them and convinced them and said, hey, this is the right answer. But rather what I think uh, it had to do with is the desires in their hearts. They had this desire to eat this fruit. They had this desire to be like God. And because they had this desire, they ultimately believed in the serpent's voice and the serpent's word. But you see, that's why I think spiritual disciplines are important. That's why we need to be in prayer. That's why we need to be in the word. That's why we need to be in community because these are spiritual disciplines that help us to guard our hearts so that we don't depart from the faith. Now, I'm sure many of us have friends, and many of those friends perhaps phased out of Christianity, and they fell away from the faith. And at least in my experience, the way it starts is it always starts off so innocently. Uh, Usually what people say is this, you know, I just want to take a little bit of a break from church for a while. I just want to explore other things. And of course, I'm not saying that church attendance is what makes you a Christian, but When you decide to disengage from important spiritual habits, when you decide to disengage from Christian community, inevitably what's going to happen is those habits are going to be replaced by other habits. During that break, they might decide to join a sports league. During that break, they might decide they just want to stay and relax at home or go and travel. And when these habits replace things like coming to church and being in Christian community on Sundays, I think inevitably it's going to shape the person's heart and the desires of the heart to the point where they can never see themselves really wanting to go back. And please understand, I'm not saying this from a place of judgment, but I'm saying this from a place of warning because it can happen to any of us. Any of us. It can happen to any of us. And it can happen so subtly and so easily. That's why we need to really develop good spiritual habits and good spiritual disciplines. The second thing we see in verse 8 is this, that spiritual disciplines are of value because they lead to godliness, which in itself is of great value. And that word godliness is interesting because 
Uh, it's actually only used 15 times in the entire New Testament, and 13 of those instances are found in the pastoral epistles, and 9 of those instances are found in 1 Timothy. And so godliness is an important theme, I think, in this book. And what is godliness? Uh, you know, a couple years ago, somebody asked me that question, what, what exactly is godliness? And, uh, you know, you think you understand or you think you know something because it's supposed to be so simple and so basic, and then somebody asks you and you realize you don't really have a great definition or a great answer for it. But here's what I think. I think the word godliness, what it's meant to convey is a sense of deep reverence and deep respect for who God is in such a way that it leads to our external conformity to the life of Christ, that it leads to inward conformity to the heart of Christ, and that it leads to greater intimacy in relationship with Christ. And godliness, according to Paul, is something that is of great value. Now, if we are going to be a people who really value spiritual disciplines, I think we have to be a people who first value the importance of godliness. We see the value in an education. So what do we do? We discipline ourselves to study and to get a degree. We see the value of a career. So what do we do? We discipline ourselves to do well at work. We see the value of our health. And so what do we do? We discipline ourselves to exercise and diet. But do we see the value of godliness to the point where we make it a point that we want to strive for it? You know, sometimes when I talk to a, uh, a non-believer about Christianity, uh, they'll say something to this effect. They'll say, you know, I know some Christians in my life, and uh, here's, here's my issue or here's my struggle with Christianity. These Christians that I know are not different from anybody else in the world. Uh, they do the same things that everybody else does. They're just as, they seem to be just as selfish or just as greedy or just as self-serving as everybody else. And so what makes the Christian faith so special? And honestly, for me, that's, that's probably one of the harder things to respond to. And of course, I think there are good responses to that, which I won't get into now. But what I think they are getting at rightly is this. You know, if you claim that your beliefs are so amazing and if you, compl- if you claim that your beliefs are so powerful, then why don't I see it worked out in your life? Why is there this huge gap between your Christian beliefs and your character? And you see, where do we start bridging that gap and how do we begin to start bridging that gap? And I think one of the places we can start is through the exercise of spiritual disciplines. Things like worship, things like prayer, things like meditating on scripture, things like serving and loving one another. I once heard a pastor say this, that he thinks there is not much revival going around in American churches because too many Christians are sleeping around. And he's, of course, trying to get a reaction. He's being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But I think his basic point is essentially right. You know, maybe what we need if we want revival is a greater concern for holiness and a greater concern for godliness. Maybe we are striving and toiling for things that are less valuable and less important. And maybe what we need to do is strive and toil for things like godliness. You know, in verse 10, Paul writes this, For to this end we toil and strive, and then he gives a reason, and he says, Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 
And he gives us another reason why we ought to strive for godliness. And the reason is this. It's because we have our hope set on the living God. That's why we should strive for godliness. Now think about some of your habits. Think about some of the habits that you have that have maybe uh, over time replaced your spiritual habits. And ask yourself this. What is a story of hope that your habits are telling? If your habits are constantly revolving around making more money, then guess what? In your story, uh, your hope is money. If your habits are constantly revolving around a relationship, then guess what? In your story, your hope is romance. If your habits revolve around just lounging around and doing nothing, then maybe in your story, your hope is things like comfort or entertainment. You see, our habits, I think, tell us a great deal about the hope that we ultimately believe in. Paul is saying this to us. He's saying this. We have a story. God has given us a story. And in this story, there is a hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people. And in this story, God saw people who were rebellious, who were sinful, who were broken, and who were dead. And what he did is he reached out to these people and he gave us that which was most precious to him, his son. And this Jesus did that which is unthinkable. He went to the cross and he died so that we could have hope. That in that great act of love, we can now be a people who live in God's story and live in his hope. We can have the hope of a reconciled relationship with God. We can have hope of new life. We can have hope of forgiveness. And friends, and especially in light of a week like this week, we can have hope of new creation where there will be perfect justice, where there will be perfect peace, where there will be no more sin, no more death, no more hatred. This is the hope that we have in Christ and in the gospel. And here's a question that I have for all of us today. If this is a story that we believe in, and if that is truly the hope that we have, then shouldn't our habits reflect that story that we believe in? You know, we live in a busy time. New York is a very busy place. We all have busy schedules, and everything is competing for our attention. And it makes it harder to practice things like prayer, to do things like meditate on scripture, to set aside time for private and corporate worship. But you see, in the midst of a world that is competing for our attention, we have to ultimately make a decision, do we not, in terms of what deserves our attention. We ought to ask ourselves not simply, are we busy, but are we busy with the right things? And if your conclusion is this, that God is the one who saved us and deserving of our attention, then let's create spiritual habits that are a reflection of that. You know, I know many of you already have these spiritual habits, and I would encourage you to, to keep at it. Because one day there's going to be a, a time of dryness and a time where you really uh, don't feel like uh, serving and loving and worshiping God. I think those spiritual habits will carry you through those times. Maybe for some of us, we used to have these habits, but we've kind of stopped and life kind of got in the way. And I want to encourage you, you know, start again. And just like exercise, and I speak from personal experience, uh, you know, I start and then eventually I stop exercising, and it's so hard to start again. But strive to start again. 
And maybe some of us have never really developed these habits. And to you, I would say, uh, try it. And you might be so surprised at how deeply God not only changes your heart, but even gives you such deep delight, greater delight than you've ever experienced in Him. And I think the time to start trying is now. And we may not see the immediate benefit of it, just like we don't always see the immediate benefit of things like exercise. But I think over time, they play such an important role in shaping our very hearts of what we desire, of what we live for, and ultimately of what we put our hope in. Christ has given us a hope worth hoping in. And uh, I do hope... (laughs) that our lives and how we use our lives and the practices that we have are shaped by that very hope. Uh, Would you all pray with me? Let's pray together.